Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Zeta Elliott, author of the new novel, The Enchanted Bridge, book four in the Dragons in a Bag series. Zeta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe The Enchanted Bridge? Ooh, well, because it is book four in a series, it's a little tricky to just describe <laughs> The Enchanted Bridge, but I will say it is in the vein of Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, you have four friends who are crossing a perilous bridge that has been constructed by a wizard who was banished from his own realm a thousand years ago, but, you know, they're kids and they trust him and they cross the bridge uh, to enter the realm of magic. He has persuaded them that magical creatures who live there ought to be able to freely move back and forth between the realm of magic and the human realm. They all have magical creature friends, and so that makes perfect sense to them. But what they don't know is that the wizard is, of course, duplicitous, and he has persuaded them to open the gates so that a horrible monster called the Scourge will be able to move from the realm of magic to the human realm. Once they realize what they've done, they have to destroy the enchanted bridge. But of course, it's enchanted, so that's not easy to do. Uh, so it's a continuation of the stories. These kids have been having an adventure for three previous books but this is sort of the book where they're they're coming into their own magical powers. They've taken on the abilities of the magical creatures they know. Uh, and this is sort of their first test. And so do you consider this a children's book or a middle grade or a young adult? Right. It's classified as middle grade. Uh, I was really surprised with the series, especially with book one. Uh, it was selected for the global read aloud. And so I now understand that a book, when read aloud, can actually reach a much broader audience. And so I've had parents reach out to me to say they're reading it with their four-year-old. I certainly wasn't writing with a four-year-old in <laughs> mind. Uh, but then I also have families say, you know, we listen to it on our on our way to work in the morning or on our way to school. Um, and it, it has been selected quite often for the one book, one school uh, community reads, because it does have fairly broad appeal. So technically, when I'm talking to people, I say it's usually for like six or seven to 10-year-olds but um, adults are enjoying it and much younger children as well. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Enchanted <laughs> Bridge and the Dragon, Dragons in a Bag series? The original series was inspired by my friend Marie. The first book is dedicated to her because she sent me four tiny rubber dragons and I didn't know what to do with them. And of course, at the time, Game of Thrones was very popular. I was watching it and there were a lot of critiques around the representation of race in that uh, series. And Marie said to me in the little note that came with the dragons, you would make a much better mother of dragons. And I <laughs> laughed at that. Um, but I, I really did want to walk around with them. I thought, how can I carry these tiny dragons? And I had a mint tin in my bag. And so I just dumped out the mints and put the dragons inside and I still carry them in my bag. And I just thought, wow, that's a great idea for a story, except it wouldn't be a writer walking around Brooklyn. It would be a witch. What was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and publishing your first novel? Oh, gosh. Well, my first novel was quite a while ago. Um, publishing, you know, there are a lot of challenges for anybody who's interested in publishing traditionally. This morning has been a little hectic for me the whole past month because uh, I'm in the midst of uh 
publishing, self-publishing three books. And so I have had a journey where I publish traditionally, but I also uh, self-publish. And the first novel I finished, One Eye Open, uh, that was way back in 1999. And I had so much interest from agents and editors, and then nothing happened. And I was teaching kids. I've worked with kids for 30 years. I was teaching kids a unit on how to write picture books. So I made a few sample picture books for them. They loved them. I had a really fun experience with them. So I started to write more and I wrote 20 picture books and then just started focusing on sending those out. I wound up self-publishing that first novel, One Eye Open, but eventually I won a contest and had my first picture book published in 2008. So um, in the intervening years now, it's been <laughs> over a decade, uh, you know, this, the Enchanted Bridge is my 41st book for young readers. And so a third of those books are traditionally published, like with Random House or Hachette uh, Macmillan. And then the remainder of those books are self-published. I use uh, KDP's, uh, that's Amazon's print-on-demand platform. So pinpointing my first novel <laughs> is a little bit tricky. Sure. Um, but the Dragon series is by far uh, my best-selling series. We for the four books right now, we're over 400,000 copies sold. So um, it's certainly blown <laughs> blown past all of our expectations. Uh, but Random House did drop the series after the first two books. So uh, it took a while for them to sort of invest <laughs> and acknowledge that the series was, was sort of a runaway hit. And so we just got the contract for the fifth book last summer. I finished that and turned it in. We're working on the cover now. Um, and then I'm working on a prequel, which I will have to decide if I want to self-publish that or shop around for a publisher. And so you said they they dropped it after the first two books. Did they come back and, and offer you a, a, um, a contract for the, for the third and the fourth when they saw the sales for the first two? Is that what happened? Not quite. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, they dropped the series and, uh, didn't want to continue it, but asked me if I had more material. Uh, and so my agent submitted a couple more proposals for fantasy books. I have another fantasy series that I self-published called the city kid series. Uh, and I had a few books there that I hadn't yet written. So I sent along those proposals, but they weren't interested. Uh, and then I co-wrote a novel in verse it's historical fiction set in 1982 Brooklyn between two boys. My boy wants to be Jean-Michel Basquiat. He's a graffiti artist. Um, and we offered that to them and they weren't interested. And then, you know, summer 2020, George Floyd uh, and a number of other African-Americans, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, were murdered. And there were protests that rocked the country. And a lot of corporations, I think, did an assessment and decided they needed to do better. And we got back into conversation with Random House. I had a different agent by that point. Uh, and they said they wanted book three and we pushed and they took book four and they said they wanted to wait and see for book five. So um, yeah, they they needed a minute, I guess, to sort of see the viability of, of the series. But I think, I think they're convinced now. Well, you mentioned... Um... Um, you mentioned that you're in the middle of self-publishing three books this month. Can you tell us a little bit about those and, and how that process is going for you? Obviously, it's, you're not, it's not your first venture into self-publishing. Right. <laughs> it's so funny because I tell people, I, you know, I can do it with my eyes closed at this point, and I always think it's faster than it's going to be. So uh, last year, 
uh, two counties uh, put forward a challenge against a picture book of mine called A Place Inside of Me, A Poem to Heal the Heart. Uh, it's a poem that I wrote 20 years ago uh, when I first started writing for kids and could never get the thumbs up from an editor. And then with all of the attention on police brutality, we got the thumbs up uh, and the illustrations show um, very subtly that a girl has been shot by police and the community is coming together. And so the poem is about uh, a young African-American boy who has a lot of different emotions. He's happy at first in his community. He's sad when he hears about the shooting. Um, he's frightened when he sees cop cars circling outside his uh, bedroom. He is uh, hopeful when his community comes together uh, to have a vigil he is compassionate when he's talking to his neighbors about what, I mean, he just goes through a lot of emotions and ends with, I love myself most of all. And so a parent in Virginia challenged the book, but the challenge was overturned. A parent in Tennessee challenged the book, said it would make uh, children think African-Americans were inferior. Uh, and then she stood up at the school board meeting and said she felt that she was being bullied and because there was a really vociferous response against banning my book. And she said, you know, sort of lamented, you know, like, whatever happened to kids' books about chickens? And so I decided I would write a book about chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote Chicken Wonders Why, which is about a group of farm animals. And every night, Dick and Jane, the farmers, read them a bedtime story. But when Dick and Jane go on vacation, who is going to tell the story? And chickens suggest that each animal takes a turn but Goat feels as though stories should be told a certain way, just like Dick and Jane did. Um, and so the animals sort of have to negotiate, well, what makes a good story and why can't you tell your story your own way? So that's one book. Another book uh, came about because I have been doing some research in Scotland. I have some ancestral roots there. And I found out about a young enslaved boy who was trafficked into the country by James Watt, who is a very famous Scottish inventor, um, working on the steam engine, and he trafficked the boy in from the Caribbean, but did not deliver the child to his destination, which was a manor house in the Highlands. And so the question is, what happened to Frederick? So I wrote a story um, that imagines Frederick encounters a brownie, and brownies in Scotland are known for doing housework in exchange for a bowl of cream, but they will leave if you offer them a brand new set of clothes. So the last farmer that the brownie was with was offered offered him a set of clothes, and he put them on and disappeared. And so Frederick says, well, could I have those clothes? Uh, so that's another book I'm working on with an illustrator up in Inverness. And the third book is my third collection of poetry, Perennial. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. 
Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I'm wondering, can you discuss a specific challenge you faced while writing your latest book and how you overcame it? Um, the challenge, do you mean for The Enchanted Bridge or for... Yeah, The Enchanted Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Enchanted Bridge, writing a series is challenging mostly because of continuity. So you, mm-hmm. you always have to be mindful of what you have written in the previous books. <laughs> and because publishing has such a lag... You know, like to have, I had to read from The Enchanted Bridge last weekend. I did a signing at a bookstore in Evanston called Booked. It was fantastic. But just reading that first chapter, I didn't remember (laughs) writing that section as the start of the novel. Uh, I think for me, I often write uh, in a nonlinear way. I don't necessarily start with the first chapter. I just sort of jot down things as they come to me, and then I assemble my outline, and then I put things back into order. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I swore when I finished book five, I will never write another series because it is super <laughs> challenging and it's hard to keep things straight. But, you know, I mean, Random House hasn't sold any international rights. And so if they do, or if the rights revert to me and we sell them, then, you know, a whole new generation of kids will be discovering the series and I'll have to be talking about it for the next five years <laughs> And I have already been talking about it for almost five years. So it, it sort of, um, it contains you, it constrains you in a particular way. I have to say that series is funding my independent writer life. So I'm very grateful for it, even with all the challenges. Um, but yeah, writing, writing book four in a five book series, <laughs> I sort of know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen in book five, um, but I, I also have to remind myself, you know, just to slow down and have fun. And I love that some of the reviews I've heard from folks is that the kids seem older and that they do. They feel like they're growing up with me as I, as I write the series. So that I enjoy that aspect of it. Well, you mentioned earlier, and you obviously wrote a book in, in response to uh, some of the challenges against your own books. What are your thoughts about the current climate um, in the U.S. towards book challenges, book bans? Yeah, it's frustrating. It's not entirely new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's frustrating 
uh, it's certainly been turned into a spectacle, but you know, it also presents an opportunity for both of the communities in Virginia and Tennessee. You know, when they found out that my book was being challenged, the majority of parents turned out to say, we will not support the banning of this book. You know, uh, there are, most people are opposed to book bans, period. But, you know, my book isn't one of those 10 most challenged books that you see being challenged over and over and over again. Um, you know, my book won the Caldecott Honor Award. Like, it's won a whole bunch of awards. The people with expertise in childhood literacy um, have declared this book outstanding. And so there's my personal opinion. And then if there's an elected conservative politician who calls it garbage on Facebook, which is what happened in Virginia, um, you know, I don't take that personally. I've heard mm -hmm. other authors say they take it personally when their books are banned. I don't because I'm, I mean, I've worked with kids for 30 years and I've published over 40 books and I've won a number of awards. I know what my, how to situate my writing uh, within the field of children's literature. I know what literature is meant to do within a classroom. I know what I intend my book to do when it is subtitled A Poem to Heal the Heart. I mean, how are you against healing? I think it's fascinating that conservatives have put forward this um, rhetoric that says these books are harmful and therefore we must ban them. And all the books they want to ban feature black people and brown people and LGBTQ folk. And there's no concern whatsoever for uh, the harm that is done to those children in those communities when they're denied representation, when they don't get to see themselves in books. So, you know, anytime you challenge convention and tradition and systems, uh, I think certain people are accustomed to holding the center, to being in the spotlight. That's all of what uh, Chicken Wonders Why is about. In the barn, there's a spotlight. And when it's your turn to tell the story, you know, you step into the spotlight and someone else steps aside. And there are just people who aren't willing to share the spotlight. It's a real sure. shame. But it, it you know, is. it's a great way to model for children what the First Amendment means, what it stands for, and how communities... When something happens, they show up at the school board meeting, they testify. I mean, it's a fantastic example to set for the children of the community. Absolutely. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own novels or short stories or poetry? Yeah, I think it's important when you're writing to have a sense of why you're writing. You know, when I wrote my first novel back in 1999, I took a year off of graduate school. I was ready to quit graduate school. I had so much buzz from agents and editors. I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to get my six-figure deal. I'm going to be living, you know, my dream writer's life. And then that didn't happen. And I had to ask myself, well, you know, if you never get the six-figure deal, are you going to keep writing? And the answer was yes. And if you never win any awards, would you keep writing? The answer is yes. You know, I... I have found personally that writing is therapeutic for me. It's empowering for me because I self-published. I see that as an act of resistance. I know some people think it's just vanity. Um, but you know, if, when you have a system that excludes, has historically excluded black writers and then you yourself are excluded, you can take it personally. You can, you know, look over your work and see if it needs some, um, improvement. But if you have already won awards and you have a best-selling series and you're still getting rejected, then chances are it's not you. Um, but aside from all of that sort of systemic stuff, you, you really mm -hmm. have to know what makes you feel good about writing. Uh, I remember talking to one of my favorite Canadian authors and she said writing novels was excruciating. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, I wouldn't do anything that's excruciating. <laughs> I just wouldn't. Yeah. Like writing makes me feel so empowered. And I have a lot of fun with my writing. And even this book of poetry, I know that self-publishing, it means it will have limited visibility and limited circulation. But I self-published my second collection of poetry, American Phoenix. And the head of a U.S. marching band just reached out to me and said, we're doing a program around phoenixes, and we found your book, American Phoenix, and would you like to read some of your poems at our concert next year? Like, you know, nothing is possible if the work is sitting on your computer. So I think I would say to, to other writers, understand why you're writing. If you're doing it to connect with others, then you don't have to be a New York Times bestselling author. You know, you can um, just share your work with your community. Having a community is really important. You can look into self-publishing and print-on-demand technology. You can give yourself a time frame that you're going to take six months to get an agent, and then you're going to give yourself a year on submission and see what happens, and then maybe you'll self-publish. Just know that you have options. The most important thing to me, the definition of success for me, is sovereignty. I want to be the one calling the shots. I want to be making the decisions about how my work circulates in the world, how it looks. Just the amount of time we spent working on this cover design was absolutely unreal. My designer was a real trooper. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm the art director. I'm the marketer. I'm the publicist. I'm the author. I'm the editor. I'm, I'm everything. And that doesn't appeal to, to everyone. I can understand that. It's hard work. But to me, it's just, it's an indication that I'm, I'm sovereign over my work. That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I don't read very much nonfiction, but because I'm doing research in Scotland, I'm sort of reading three, three history um, books right now on uh, Caribbean slavery and the Highlands and uh, abolitionists in Scotland. And there's one more that just came in. I can't remember the name of it. I recently finished Suzette Mayer's novel, The Sleeping Car Porter, which is excellent. She's an African-Canadian author uh, based in uh, the prairies, Alberta, I think. And it won the biggest prize in Canada for literature. That was excellent. And then a friend loaned me Patrice Culler's Abolitionist Handbook. And that was a quick read, but a really sort of profound read. And uh, abolition is something that I have struggled with. Um, and I look at some of the poems that I wrote and I'm publishing in this in perennial, and they, they certainly don't align with abolition. But here we are in the midst of another uh, police-involved killing of an unarmed Black person. And uh, I'm really glad I read that book because it, it helps you to think about responding versus reacting and the importance of the imagination in thinking of ways we can achieve justice beyond what exists as the criminal justice system right now. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and your poetry? I am not super active on social media, but at Zeta Elliott is where you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook page, author Zeta Elliott, and I blog on my website, ZettaElliott.com. Well, again, we've been speaking with Zeta Elliott, author of the new novel, The Enchanted Bride. Br sorry, the, I'll, I'll, I'll fix that when I do it. The Enchanted Bridge, book four in the Dragons in a Bag series. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Zeta, thanks for doing this interview.
That was wonderful. Thanks so much, Jeff. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Um, so like I said, if you could just leave this browser window open for just right. a moment, I'll stop the recording. Um, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.